Uh, if you turn with me in your bulletins to the passage in which today's brief teaching is based. It comes from Psalm chapter 23, one of the most famous passages in the Bible. Allow me to read. The Lord is not my shepherd. I am always in want. He makes me labor in dry pastures. The grass is always greener on the other side. He leads me beside stormy waters. He deadens my soul. I'm always broken. I'm lost in my search for righteousness or approval for my glory's sake. Even though I walk along sunny hillsides, I am always anxious, for you are so far from me. Your rod and your staff, they discomfort me. I am always starving and lonely in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with pain. My cup is empty. Surely goodness and love will never follow me all the days of my life, and I will be a stranger from the house of the Lord forever. Now, those aren't the words that are printed in your bulletins, but that's what's printed in our hearts. That's what we believe. That's why we are the way we are. That's why we respond the way we do. So let's read what God says. The Lord is my shepherd. This is a Psalm of David. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters, still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. This is God's word. Verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. The psalmist is not talking about his trust in God. He's talking about trusting God. He's saying God is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. What's a shepherd? There are four things we're going to go through today very quickly. He's our provider. He's our leader. He's our protector. He's our intimate friend. And we're going to talk about how we can be assured of that. He's our provider, he's our leader, he's our protector, he's our friend, and then our assurance of that. Very simple. First, verses 1 and 2. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. Shepherd is a provider. He provides what we need. He sustains us. That's what David's saying. He, He takes us where there are lush pastures, where there are green pastures, where we can delight in what is given to us. This is an image of the sheep being led to open fields that are green and lush, abundant, full of just pleasant 
grazing ground where he can graze and lie down and enjoy. There's complete and other peace and, and safety. He's our provider. That's the first point. The second point is that the shepherd is also a leader. He leads. He leads us to where? He leads us to safety. He leads us to rest. He leads us to refreshment. The psalmist is David, and he's not saying that life, if I trust you, will always be easy. It's not a conditional thing. He's saying, wherever you take me, David is reflecting on his relationship with the Lord, and he's saying, no matter what happens, no matter where I'm going, it's always for my good. It's always for my renewal. God never leads me to a bad place. The end game is always good. The end game is always for my good, he says. Now, he says he leads him beside still waters. Waters represent uncertainty. Throughout the Old Testament, water was enigmatic. The seas were uncontrollable, enigmatic. And so David is reflecting on the uncontrollable, mysterious, confusing aspects of his life. And he concludes, no matter where I'm headed, the Lord is always going to lead me to peace. I can trust him. He always leads me to rest. I can trust him. There will always be water, still waters in the end. It's why it says in verse 3, he restores my soul. Literally, he gives me life. What does water do? Water is life. You need water to live. Right? Sheep no matter how small, no matter how little, no matter how insignificant he may seem, he needs water to live. And, and he's, the, the, the psalmist is David saying, he always lead me, leads me to a place where there's life, where there's peace, where there's refreshment, where there's safety. Keep in mind, he's looking at God as the shepherd, right? David is looking at God as a shepherd. That implies that he is sheep. He is a sheep. We are sheep. What are sheep? What does that mean? Sheep are foolish Sheep are stupid. Sheep are wayward. In fact, they're wayward. They're always going astray. A shepherd has to herd his sheep together, but they're they're not very good listeners. They're always resistant. They're always trying to go their own direction. They're always fighting and resisting against the shepherd. And yet, in verse 3, he says, he guides me in paths of righteousness, the good way. Righteousness actually means, throughout the Old Testament, it means approval. And so he's guiding me to this place that is good, that is acceptable, acceptable to him. This is the end of us laboring for God's favor. This is the end of our spending lavishly on ourselves, decadence. This is the end of our emptiness because that's why we do that. We're constantly trying to fill ourselves because we're so empty. This is the end of weariness. This is the end of fatigue. This is the end of the psalmist's distrust in God. We worry so much about the end. We worry so much about the cracks and the crevices and the ravines and the valleys of our lives when the biggest ravines and the biggest darknesses and the biggest valleys are really in our soul. That's where the biggest darkness is. This is the end of worrying. This is the end of anxiety, the end of depression, you see? In other words, uh, the, the psalmist is really saying that the reason why we work Verse 3 says, it should be for his name's sake. But the reason why we work, work has a much greater meaning to us than what it's intended to be. We're doing it for our name's sake. There's this deep cavern and ravine 
that tells us that we need to, and it's created by the sinfulness of our hearts the day we decided to rebel and go our own way like sheep. Work has created a greater meaning for us than it's supposed to intend, intended to be. It's why we're always worried. It's why we're always depressed. Why we're constantly sweating and toiling and spending on ourselves and tired as a result. Because we still believe that we can be in control of our lives when we never had control of our lives. You know, storms, rough waters, if there's a storm in your life, they teach us what? They teach us that we have no control. The moment you enter into a storm period in your life, you're saying, I have no control. No control over my life. And we manipulate our way, lie our way, cheat our way, steal our way. We try to do all these things, and if we're not cheating other people, we're still cheating the Lord himself. We're staring at power and saying, I can get power this way. We're staring at love and we're saying, I'm going to get love this way. We're constantly going away and, and being led astray. And David says, the Lord restores my soul. The Lord gives me life. He guides me along the way that is for my good, for his name's sake. God is doing 10,000 things for his glory and for your good. We can't see it sometimes. God, in fact, seems absent at times. But it's because of his faithfulness, his everlasting promise, regardless of our faithfulness, regardless of whether or not we live up to our covenant relationship with God, regardless of our love for him, our trust in him. God is faithful. He is, he, his promise is always true. His love for us, always real, even in the face of danger, even in the face of death. What confidence. The psalmist is celebrate what confidence and it's because the lord leads he's good for it we can trust him thirdly being a shepherd means being our protector verse four even though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death i will fear no evil for you are with me your rod and your staff they comfort me the psalmist says that's total trust There is total trust in you. In the darkest moments of my life, there's trust. So much so that sheep in the ancient Israel, if you think about it, they're navigating ups and downs. And they're very feeble creatures. They're defenseless creatures, completely vulnerable. They have no way of protecting themselves, save for a protector, a shepherd that is above them, leading them, guiding them, keeping them from falling through the cracks and the valleys and the ravines, and yet they're navigating all these treacherous roads where enemies, beasts, are lurking about, ready to devour them. David says, no matter where I'm going, you are with me. That rod and staff, those are representative of the shepherd's presence. Your rod and your staff, they're comforting because it means you're present, you're protecting. There's utter trust. In the Old Testament, in the first book, we're going to actually go into this next. There's a story of Jacob, uh, Joseph. Joseph was one of the sons of Jacob. And Joseph uh, was ultimately uh, sold off by his brothers into slavery. Now, if you look at the trajectory of Joseph's life, he's sold into slavery, he's practically left for dead, then sold into slavery, He's at one point spending over a decade of his life in prison for a crime he did not commit. And this isn't modern prison. In America, modern prisons, you still have some rights. They want to treat you with, in some humane manner, but in those old prisons, you are left for dead until you are finally executed. 
And so here's, here's, jo- here's Joseph in prison for over a decade. And I always wonder because it says very little about what he's thinking or feeling while he's in prison. But later he sees his brothers and he says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Decades of suffering, constant suffering, ups and downs, hills and valleys. But he's saying God has been present all this time and it's humbled me and it's shaped me and he is for me. We can trust him. Those still waters, it's a journey. It's a journey of life. The hymnist writes, all the way my Savior leads me. Whom have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercies who through life has been my guide? It's powerful, isn't it? You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Lastly, we learn that he's our friend, an intimate friend. In verse 5, David says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That means he's your friend. There is uncertainty. You've got to look at the, the, the context here. He is in the valley, in the darkness. There is uncertainty. There are enemies lurking about. There's loss and there's brokenness with every step, everywhere. And yet, in the face of all this trouble, God prepares a table for him. The Lord, the shepherd, prepares a table for him. What is a table? A table, he's talking about a meal. Not just a meal. He said, you prepare this luxurious feast. In ancient times, preparing a meal, it took time. We didn't have ready-made meals, quick meals. These days, you just open up a package, it actually starts to heat itself. There are meals that do that, right? If you've ever been in the military, you understand what I'm talking about, right? In ancient times, preparing a meal took time. You have to be calculated. There were no refrigerators. There were no ice boxes back then. And so what you had to do was everything was cooked, cooked from scratch. Everything was made on the day. You only prepared a table like that for the most intimate of friends. And the psalmist is saying, you, the Lord, are preparing a table for me. Not in the midst of danger and evil and darkness, everything I'm going through, when he thinks about his relationship with God, he's saying, I have been lavished with blessings. You spared no expense. I have to trust that. It's hard to trust that, isn't it? Without the gospel in your life, it's impossible to trust that. He says, you delight in me, and my heart then can be full. I'm filled in a meal like that. You eat and you dine, and this is in the darkness. He's feeding on Christ, his shepherd. In the darkness, before his enemies, he is feeding on on the lavish blessing of God's presence in his life. A Christian has courage. Not because of what God has given him, the resources in this time of need, but because he is the resource in the time of greatest need in his life. A Christian has courage because you have more of God. You have more intimacy with God, not because you have more things that God gives us. We oftentimes pray for things. And yet the psalmist here is saying the key to renewal is that we have more of God, his presence. And he goes on, verse 5, he goes on. I mean, he's just waxing here. He says, you anoint my head with oil. Oil is expensive. He says, you have lavished me in the midst of darkness and loss, in the midst of enemies, in the presence of evil around him. You've lavished me with more than I need. 
He's poured oil on him. And he says, my cup overflows. You know, at a table, there's food. That's deep satisfaction, the richness of a great meal. There's oil. He's lavished him with delight. There's wine. He says, my cup overflows. There's, wine. There's joy. My cup is overflowing. David is saying, at the table, I have you. And so you satisfy. You delight me. You are my joy. In ancient times, you go to a friend's house, this intimate friend of yours, and he just poured, I mean, he just lays out an amazing spread. And you're eating and you're dining. And there was no electricity back then, and so it's starting to get dark. It's time to go home. It represents time to go home. This meal has to come to an end. And so what does he do? To signify the end of the meal, he pours a little bit of wine in your cup. And what that means is, hey, it's been good, but it's time for you to go home. So he pours a little bit of wine, and that was the cue for you to go home. But if he loves that you're here, and he wants you to stay a little longer. He pours a little more wine in your cup. And if he really wants to keep this conversation going, he's just so enthralled by you in his presence. He's inviting you to stay. What does he do? He pours even more into the cup. And if he really wants you to be there with him, if he wants to stay even longer, what does he do? He pours that wine to the brim. And he's saying, I don't want you to leave. I want you to stay. This psalmist is saying, my cup overflows. God wants me in his presence, unending. He just wants me to stay all night. Eternal intimacy, eternal comfort, eternal joy, eternal satisfaction is the table and the wine and the oil, the meal. It's all you need. It's all you need. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in God's presence forever. Would you not accept or receive that invitation to stay? How are we assured of this? In John chapter 10, Jesus Christ says, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. Where did he, when you think about our lives, where are we led often? But Jesus, where was he led? Because on the cross, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In other words, what he's saying is, in my greatest moment of darkness, I am in need. I am in want. And I have not been satisfied. And does he want things in the moment? No. He's saying, my God, my God, you have forsaken me. You have departed from me. All I wanted was you. This psalmist is saying, I have you. I delight in you. And so in my darkest moments, I don't need anything else. And yet Jesus says, in my darkest moment, I don't need anything else but you. And I've lost you. And now I'm in want. And so he's working on the cross, and he's slaving on the cross, and he's sweating on the cross, and he's bleeding on the cross. We're led by still waters to still waters, but on the cross, Jesus Christ faces the ultimate storm, the stormiest waters. There is chaos around him. There is darkness in his life. There was actually darkness on the cross. There was an earthquake on the cross. He's facing the ultimate storm, not just on the outside, but on the inside, as God is ripped away from him. 
Jesus Christ didn't just walk through the valley of the shadow of death. David is talking about the shadow of death. It was an imagery that he probably remembered as he was walking around leading his sheep because oftentimes when you're in a valley, there's a shadow. He's looking at the shadow of death. He's facing death, and yet he knows he is secure, and his sheep are secure. Jesus didn't just walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He died, which means that he faced the ultimate darkness. He faced the ultimate darkness to give us God's presence. He faced death and experienced death on the cross to give us new life. And yet he says, my God, my God. You know what he's doing? He's still trusting God. Jesus Christ himself is saying, I am your sheep. And yet he became the lamb that was slain. The lamb that was slain. And yet he still trusted to the end. My God, my God. To the end he's worshiping. To the end he's praying. To the end he's meditating on scripture. It's what's going to carry him through his darkest moments. It's what's going to carry him through his darkest days. It's what's going to carry him through the chaos and the confusion. He says, why? My God, my God, why? Through all the confusion and the darkness and the chaos, he's still reflecting on God because he's trusting to his death that God will be faithful to his people. We get the table. Jesus Christ didn't get the table. Jesus Christ got the enemies. We get oil, but Jesus Christ didn't get the oil. He got a crown of thorns on his head. He got the pain. We are in the presence intimately with God forever and ever. Jesus Christ was alone, and he faced everything alone, and he died. On the cross, there was no provision because he is the provision. There was no safety because he is the safety. You see, he is true safety, true security. There was no shepherd because he is our very good shepherd. And so we have a shepherd. Always in our lives, we have a shepherd. Through your darkest days, through your darkest moments, and everybody here understands suffering in some way, shape, or form, and yet we have a shepherd. And that's why he's our good shepherd, because his presence is always with us. So don't just trust in God. Trust God. Trust his word. In your darkest moments, remember his word. That means you need to read his word. It means you need to meditate on his word. It means you need to reflect on his word. It means you need to apply his word. It means, you know, the Bible says a lot more about remembering God. The psalmists throughout the Bible, if you read the Old Testament and even God's commands, he always says, remember your creator. Remember me. He's constantly reciting who he is. He's constantly saying, I am the Lord your God. I have rescued you. I've brought you to this place. I'm the God of Abraham, the God of your father Jacob, the God of Isaac. He's constantly reminding us why, because we are sheep, we're constantly forgetting. We're constantly forgetting, you see. But God doesn't forget. He is our good shepherd. Jesus says, I will go after that one that's strayed behind. I am willing to walk away from the 99 to bring back that one, you see. Now, here at Metro, we've been around for about seven and a half years. And we're going to share a lot here today. Um, we have an amazing year ahead of us. But please make no mistake. Do not ever forget. We have to constantly remind ourselves because it's so easy to forget in the midst of the doing and the working. The working can become a greater meaning than it's supposed to be, right? We have to constantly remember and rely and depend on the fact that this is the Lord who has paved and led 
and continues to lead us, and we need to, rep- we need to repent in many ways of our wandering. You know, there's a difference between a vision and a daydream. We have to repent of the daydream and rely on the vision. The vision is oftentimes, it leads us to darkness. It takes us to rough waters. But by nature, we don't do that. You know, whether it's evolutionary, whether it's DNA, whatever it is, uh, we just call it sin. <laughs> you know, we tend to vie away from areas of danger and we run towards self-preservation. We need to trust most. And that's why I love years like this where there's a lot being asked of us because it forces us and teaches us to trust and it reveals our distrusts. How do you practice this? I'm going to say this very quickly. You need to scale some things down in our lives. Personally, I want everybody here to reflect on areas in their lives that they need to scale down because we oftentimes try to ramp up things in our lives, purchase things, want things. Why? Because we don't trust enough in God's provision. We need to scale down the way we work. You know, not to the degree that it hurts uh, you or your provision for your family, although sometimes it may, but we need to scale down because of our trust, because we're overworking and we're anxious and we're depressed because the work means more than it's meant to be. We need to scale some things down. We need to scale up some things. We need to scale up our trust, scale up repentance, scale up our moments, our intimate moments of of prayer and understanding and knowing scripture and godly gospel community in our lives. We need to scale down our focus on ourselves and our spending and our worrying. We need to scale up our intimacy and our delight in the Father because our cup, the psalmist says, when I'm with you, my cup overflows. So this next year, it's my prayer that Metro will boldly journey together scaling down in the right ways, scaling up in the right ways, trusting in Jesus, trusting in his word, and genuinely just immersed in our intimacy with him. Will you join us in that? None of this matters if your love for Jesus does not grow at the end of the year. None of this matters if your love for Jesus and his bride, the church, that's us, does not grow. That needs to scale up, but that won't scale up because you just feel obligated to do that. Look, many of you guys celebrated Valentine's Day. If you just sat there and did everything out of obligation, does that give birth to joy in you or your spouse or your significant other? It does not. It absolutely will not. Some of us learn the hard way. It does not, right? But if you are responding out of love and gratitude, blessing, and you want to pour out love and gratitude, blessing what does it do the fruits of that are immense that's my prayer for metro this year let's pray together